I know most of you are not used to this. You're used to Father Scott standing up there. Well, I don't. Today, we have an image given to us in the gospel that has been come, become part of Western culture. <clears throat> we often hear people say, Man, he's just salt of the earth. Meaning a person who is solid, a person who, you know, has substance. But it's interesting, while I was listening to, studying, uh, to get, to bring the homily, to cook it in my head, what came out to me, uh, came out to me was how interesting it is well, it is for me. Salt is not salt to itself. I mean, think about that. What would you season salt with? I mean, put away garlic, salt, and all that other stuff. But salt is not for itself. Salt is to give flavor to something that is bland. And so the purpose of salt's existence is not for itself. You know, it's, I, I began to find this interesting for this reason. When you compare Christianity to pagan religions, I, I very much like to uh, study pagan religions, especially ancient pagan religions, like, for example, the Romans or the Greeks or Aztecs, Mayans, all their different kinds of religions. Let me just take Roman religion. Roman religion was all about itself. When you were a Roman and you were practicing Roman religion, what you did, Roman religion was all about making the gods happy so that they would benefit you. It's all about why do you think you offered sacrifice to the gods? It's, it's very, uh, very unique because think about this. I'm going to teach you a word that you don't need to remember, but if you don't ever want to use it, man, it'll make you sound super intelligent, okay? The word is apotropaic. Apotropaic. Now, ancient sacrifices, remember in the ancient world, people would sacrifice animals and many times human beings, but not in, in Israel that was prohibited, but throughout the entire rest of the world, human sacrifice was practiced all the way from the ancient Romans to the Aztecs to the Greeks. All kinds of people sacrificed human beings. And why did they do that? Well, they did that in order to appease the gods. That's what apotropaic means. It means um, apo means away and tropos means to turn. And so if you wanted 
to make sure that a God didn't get angry at you, you would offer them a sacrifice, just like you would give a gift to somebody that you were trying to please. You would treat them well and give them a gift. Or that you could be wanting to have a good harvest and you would try to persuade the gods to, to make it good. And so you would sacrifice something that was good. You would never sacrifice anything that was bad because the gods would notice and therefore and they would get angry. If you were going to give the gift and you give a gift to anybody, you give a gift that means something. Okay, if somebody knows that you gave them a gift and you just gave them whatever, it's not going to be a good message. <clears throat> you know, that's why at the time of offering in, here at Mass, at the Masses I celebrate, I always remind people, the only thing you can commit at the time of the collection or the offering to the church is to give God the leftovers. I don't care... I, this is an aside. I don't care what you give, okay? I don't care what you give, but it better not be the leftovers because you're giving it to God. It's my responsibility as pastor to make sure that it's used well. But if you choose to give a dollar, it should be your first dollar. It should be always God is the first priority. But in Roman religion, it was always about me, me. I want to make sure that the gods treat me right. I want this. I want everything to be my way. I need to placate, turn away, apotropos, the gods, anger. Notice the way Jesus is talking. Jesus is saying it the exact opposite. You are the salt of the salt. No. You are the salt of of the earth. <coughs> Notice that the relationship that you have is not God is saying it's all about you. God is saying, Jesus is saying, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> my allergies are killing me. Jesus is saying, it's not about you. It's about through you to other people. You are salt of the earth. You're supposed to give flavor to the earth. What does salt do? You know, if you, have you ever eaten anything that doesn't have salt on it? It's very bland. And salt gives seasoning to food, among other things that can give seasoning to foods. Or think of the other image that he uses. You are the light of the world. Notice, a light is not for itself. A light is for the world, of the world. And so from the very beginning, what Jesus is describing is the identity of one of his disciples is not to be only about themselves. It is to be about others. You are expected, you and I are expected to be mirrors. I, I always enjoy that imagery. The image of a mirror. Think about a mirror. A mirror has absolutely no light of its own. 
If you take a mirror and you turn it upside down, that mirror is useless. What is a mirror supposed to do? Well, a mirror reflects light. But what is the condition that the mirror has to be in? Well, the mirror has to be right side up, and it has to be angled towards the source of the light. And it also has to be clean. That is what Jesus is saying. You and I are called to be mirrors. And notice he goes pretty far. He says, so that people may see the good works that you do and give glory to God. I always find it very, um, very interesting when I think of that sentence compared to how sometimes Protestants say, no, 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 you don't need to do anything to be saved. You don't need to do anything. You are saved by faith alone. Notice what Jesus said. So that they may see the good works that you do and give glory to God. Please understand, when St. Paul said we are saved by faith and not by works, what he was talking about are works of the law. What does he mean by that? It's not works of charity. He was talking about works of the law. Works of the law were, for example, in ancient Judaism, you had to wash your hands in a particular way. You had to observe the Sabbath in a particular way. You had to wear different things. You had to do things in a specific way, in a specific order. In the Torah, there is like something like 633 commands that you have to fulfill. Those are what's called the works of the law. And of course, Paul was a Jew. And when he's saying we are saved by faith, not by works, he was talking about the works of the law. You don't have to be going around keeping the law in order to be justified by God. And so what Jesus is talking about is not works of the law. He's talking about works of love. I had a professor one time who used to say, we are, we really are saved by faith alone. No question. However, the kind of faith that saves is not alone. The kind of faith. Why? Because there are superficial faiths. Yeah, superficial faiths that doesn't do anything. But there is the kind of faith that penetrates the person and helps you to transform you into the person that God wants you to be. And that gives fruit in the, in the guise of works, meaning charity. Okay? And so what Jesus is saying here is, you are the light of the world so that people may see the works that you do, the charitable works, and give glory to God. So the very first thing that I is very focused, I'm very focused on right now is what is your identity as a Christian about? It's not about you. It is all it's, it starts with you, but it's supposed to be about other people. You are supposed to be the example of other people. Now Jesus, it's, it's very interesting there because Jesus goes into a negative from there. Think about this negative. 
if the salt loses its taste, so what is it good for? Now, you might want to bring this in because Jesus is actually making a hyperbole here. Salt cannot lose its taste. Uh, salt cannot become unsalty. Okay? But Jesus is saying, what if? What if salt would lose its taste? What if you had powder that for some reason it was salt, but now it's nothing? What are you going to do with it? Throw it away. Throw it away. Why? Because it's useless. You were supposed to, it's supposed to be salt is not for itself. Salt is to give seasoning to the, to the meal. Okay? Now, all of a sudden, you get a different picture. What if salt loses its taste? I was thinking about that. Let me give it a little bit of an application and find out because it, it all of a sudden struck me. You know, as a Catholic and as a Catholic priest and as a person who is uh, professionally religious, I guess you could say that I, that's what I am, I get this whole thing periodically about, you know, religion. Religion, is, religion has caused more deaths and more division and more wars, and that's why we're glad that we put religion over to the side, because it causes all kinds of problems. And every time I hear that, I just, I have to laugh out loud because of the sheer idiocy of that statement, the sheer idiocy of it. Think about this. What was the most irreligious century that humankind has lived through? The 20th century. The 20th century, beginning with what is called the Enlightenment in Europe, okay, where people threw away religion, okay, and they say our religion is bunk. We are only going to worship reason. Reason is going to be our guide. And it began, we can make it begin in different places, but I always like to begin the first, the first uh, occurrence of, of, of the, what's called the Enlightenment with the French Revolution. The French Revolution, I don't know if you know this, but when the French, the, the French people took over uh, and, and deposed the king and the queen and put them in jail, the very first thing, one of the first things that they did was they took Notre Dame Cathedral and they turned it into a temple to the goddess of reason. And they actually built a statue of the goddess of reason. And they had days of reason in which they would worship reason. And they began arresting priests and nuns and, and uh, people, religious, and all kinds of stuff. And you know what was one of the very first fruits of the enlightenment of reason? The guillotine. The guillotine. The immediately when reason took over, man, that guillotine was ka-chomp, ka-chomp, ka-chomp. Constantly, heads were rolling. Thousands and thousands 
Yes, this is, let's put away religion because religion causes problems, but let's bring out the guillotine with reason. And then from then on, that was in the, in the late 19th century, or, yeah, and, and, and no, late 18th century. Then what happens? Imagine, keep going through time and just come up to the 20th century. In the 20th century, why is it that a supposedly Christian Europe, a supposedly Christian Europe in the 20th century began, which is a Europe that was supposed to be the light of the world, okay, because they're all Christians. First, you begin with World War I, an orgy of violence. 20 million people killed in World War I. World War II, over 60 million people. Then you have Stalin in Russia. Hundreds of millions of people killed. And all that Stalin could do is say, well, you know, to make an omelet, you gotta crack a few eggs. Periodically when I hear that, I go, show me the omelet, because it ain't there. And then you go to Hitler. Hitler was a Catholic, for God's sake. How many millions of people, six million Jews plus the, all the casualties of, of war, start adding up all of those Christian things that were supposed to be Christian, but they took away the religion and they, oh, we are enlightening. Religion causes too much violence. And all of a sudden, you have World War I, 20 million. World War II, 60 million. Stalin starving his people to death, over 80 million people. Then Mao Zedong, influenced by the, the philosophy of a Christian, Karl Marx, they put that into, into practice. Hundreds of millions. When I figured it out, I, I, I was trying to count, because when you get into the millions, you just, it goes beyond. Over 300 million people. Do you realize that the non-faith, the, the, the people who were rejected the salt and the light of religion because it caused too many wars, all of a sudden in the, in the 20th century, Religion-less society produced more calculated deaths over 300 million people. When you add up estimates of all the wars that occurred because of religion, they don't even occur 20% than what the Enlightenment, God-lessening things did. What is Jesus saying? When salt loses its taste... It becomes what's it good for? Nothing. And we have many Christians, we, a society that was supposed to be Christian, lost its witness and became tasteless. That's a lot of the, a lot of the problem has been that. And not only that, look at the United States. Do you realize that since Roe v. Wade went into existence, we have aborted, killed 60 million babies. The blood is running deep. 
Why? Because I don't know the entire reason, but I can tell you that a lot of it has to do with mediocre Christians who refuse to stand up and be a source of light to the world, a source reflecting light. Because whenever we came upon persecutions, upon fear, every one of us, not every one of us, a lot of us hid or keep, keep our mouths shut. Millions, three, over 360 million people in, in, the, in the 20th century. Why? Because when salt loses its taste, it's good for nothing. Folks, what Jesus is comparing us to, and he's saying the negative so that we know our responsibility. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, Jesus said, sometimes people say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Yes, it's both. It's both and. Why? Because you and I are supposed to be mirrors. We're supposed to be reflections of that light. And when we don't do it, when we don't live our Christian faith, the world begins to darken. And the darkness of the modern world resulted in, by best estimates, 360 million people dead. And so, now bring it to today. We can't go fix the past. What are you supposed to, what are you being a salt for? You're supposed to be salt. Are you supposed to be, you know, the responsorial psalm was very interesting. The, what was it? Uh, how, what was it? This, the just man? The just man is a light and darkness to the upright. Are you and I being a light and darkness to the upright? Now, let me give you a small caveat. Being religious is not automatically being light to the upright. Being folks, who was it that crucified Jesus? You know who it was? Religious people, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the most religious people that there were. And so, Religion practiced badly is really bad for you, really bad. And Jesus was the first one who said that. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said to them, he said to the Pharisees, you Pharisees, you travel land and sea to make a convert. And when you're through with them, they're twice as fit for hell as you are yourselves. So Jesus was under no illusion that religion in and of itself is going to make you a better person. In that sense, all the religious wars that have occurred throughout the other centuries, they are actually a testimony to failed Christianity. It's a Christianity that is judged by Christianity itself to have been a failure. Every time we judge, we judge failures, we're using a Christian standard to judge the failure. All those wars and all those failed Christians are judged by Jesus' words. And so what we need to do, remember is that Jesus is calling us to be conscientious about living our faith and not 
simulating our faith. Right? Nothing is worse. That's, what, that's why Jesus was so angry at the Pharisees and the scribes and Pharisees. He said, you scribes and Pharisees, you look like cemeteries. You know, when you go to a cemetery, it's pretty. You know, the greenery and all that pretty. But dig underneath, and what do you find? A bunch of dead men's bones. Dead bones and rotting flesh. And that's what Jesus, Jesus, sometimes when, we, when we're talking about sweet Jesus, you know, that Jesus was so delicate, Jesus, he wasn't delicate at all. He called it, he called it the way he saw it. And he saw the hypocrisy, and he saw when religion turns bad. Religion cannot turn bad because it produces rot. In that sense, it is the critics of religion are correct. They are correct. However, the answer is not getting rid of religion because what you get is even worse. Even worse. And so let's think, think about it for yourself. And for me, every time I, I think about that, I understand that my behavior is influencing the people that I'm around. That my, my being Christian has to be a Christianity that is fruitful, that is loving. A Christianity that is also informed. You know, um, and sometimes I hear that, you know, people say of Christians, you know, Christians need to stand up, straighten up, and speak up. But if you don't know what you're talking about, I encourage you to stand up, straighten up, and shut up. No, because what you're doing is making people more confused. Why do you think I, I constantly pound on education? You know, the, I, some of you may have heard Pope Francis. Um, Pope Francis recently uh, made a statement that homilies should be no more than 10 minutes long. It's actually, he said that. And I was thinking, boy, if I had coffee with the good Holy Father, okay, I would say I respect the Roman, the Roman pontiff, but I disagree with you. I disagree with you with that. You know why? Because it makes sense that a homily should be 10 minutes long. If you're talking to a group of people who are living up to their responsibility to study their faith and to be informed, a homily, if I were talking to a bunch of people that are, be, that are well informed, should be 10 minutes long to give you a little lift. But whenever I preach, I'm betting that 80% of you, 80 or 90% of you, your religious education is about that big. About that big. You, this is the only religious education you get during the week. And so when people say to me, well, this is the most important topic in my life. Oh, religion is so important to me. But I want no more information than 10 minutes a week. Oh, okay. In that case, let's make a graduate school that you could get through in an hour. Because <laughs> well, every class would be 10 minutes. Oh, that's it. There's, by the way, there's a tremendous uh, video on YouTube. For those of us who grew up in the 60s, it's, there was a comedy character called Father Guido Sarducci. And Father Guido, and look it up in, the, in YouTube, Guido Sarducci, and it's called the Five Minute University. The Five Minute University, and he says, 
Our university only takes five minutes. You know why? Because that's all you remember after four years of college. That's all you remember. And so he says, uh, religion, God loves you. Uh, economics, buy low and sell high. Uh, medicine, get some sleep. Uh, and it goes, it goes, he summarizes all that, and he says, and after that, we give you a, we give you a, a spring break, and we give you a lawn chair, and, 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 get, and sprinkle some water and make you believe you're in Miami, in Miami Beach, and then we give you a diploma, and it's five minutes, okay? Well, if, if all of our homilies for the people of God the way we really are are 10 minutes, you guys are going to be the most ignorant people in the world. Because nobody studies. That's why I constantly tell people, do not read the Bible. Do not study it. I can't believe whenever a person comes up to me and says, well, Father, I've read the whole Bible from beginning to end. I go, oh, Jesus. <laughs> because they don't know the first thing. So, take your responsibility correctly. You are the salt of the earth, but in order to be salt, you have to know what you're doing. You have to let the Lord get inside of you. You have to study. You have to, if, if you say God's the most important reality in your life, and you're giving God 10 minutes a week or 15 or even an hour, and if you go to one of my masses, 90 minutes, okay? Then, then you, yeah, don't tell me that you're going to be ready to be able to stand up, straighten up, and speak up, because you're not. You're not. So it's a challenge. This gospel is a challenge. Stand up, prepare, get yourself ready, because a lot of people are depending on you. And don't worry about let's, the past is past, but the people who are around you need to be able to say, wow, I like him or I like her. Their faith, you, it is a full faith, it is a loving faith, it is an informed faith. That's what salt of the earth and light of the world must mean. And the people around you are counting on you. God is counting on you to be the salt of the people around you and the light that illumines those who you love. God bless you.